Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a Q&A. We got half and half questions here. We got um, half from Facebook uh, podcast group. And then half from Instagram, so. Yeah, I posted for the Instagram question. It's, you know, the question box never, it's hard to pull real good ones out of there. I answered them all on my story, but a lot of times it's stuff like uh, um, uh, favorite ice cream was one of them, stuff like that. I got this one person that asked me sex questions mm. every time. Do you see when I uh, I said the uh, horny goat weed thing? Yes. That person. Mm. Every single time, it almost is always like, how do I get better at sex? Mm. And I'm like, I don't know why I look like, I mean, thanks, I guess. <laughs> I don't know why well, I just like, but every time. Maybe, like, asked, maybe that's just what he asks everybody. Yeah. I think it's a guy. Well, it. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know who, who it knows, is. But. but yeah, the way they, uh, the way they framed it, it seems like it was a guy, but it's just funny. Cause I'm like, okay, bro, we get it. I don't know if that recommendation was good either. By the way, I've never taken horny goat weed. Yeah. I've just seen it at the corner store. Yeah. Many times growing up or like a uh, magical pill. Rhino something is another one. Rhino, uh. I have no idea. I know what you're talking about at the front counter always, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. All right, cool. Well, let's get into it. We have got some good questions here, and we will start it off today with Rebecca Becker. It says, what things do you suggest for a client that works in the wine and liquor business? I have multiple tastings a week, lots of lunches and dinners, out tea and wine and cocktails. You know what's, this is, I will answer the question, but completely unrelated. Rebecca Becker, that name, I think of uh, like, you know, the real famous guy, was it, is it wrestling or is it boxing? Let's get ready to rumble. Oh. That guy? Yeah. Rebecca Becker. <laughs> or like even when you uh, go to Mariners games, they do that. Bruce Buffer. There you go. Even at Mariners games. They do. In the white. Yeah. 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 You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like the last name is like very extended. Yeah. It's a really good name for that. I had one person tell me that before. A teacher told me that my name sounded like an NFL name. They were like, I could see that on the back of a jersey. I was like, that's good because I'm like an eighth grade stoner who doesn't play any sports. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Mr. Mc... I think it was Mr. McLean. McLeod. 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 That was his name. Junior high. Never had him. But um, anyway. It was a nice gesture. Uh, okay, so the liquor and wine business. Definitely not uh, – the cards were not dealt in your favor as far as getting lean and building muscle because um, it's just not – it's obviously not a a easy one to, to pull off. And I think that – well, it, you know what? It depends on the, the specificity and the extent of your goal because – if you, there's a lot of research on alcohol, I mean, not a lot, but there's enough research on alcohol and fat loss to know that if you fit the alcohol into your calories, generally speaking, you will be totally fine and still lose weight. However, most studies done on this are really specific to weight loss, not necessarily fat loss. And I say that because, you know, if, so I'm getting ready for this cut, right? And I have a mindset of like how much weight I want to lose. If I'm in my mindset and then I have somebody who is the, uh, even if they're not the exact same size or anything, but they have the same goal of like, let's say 10 pounds to make it easy. They want to lose 10 pounds as well. I'm like, I want to be 10 pounds leaner for a shoot. So to me, it's like strength, muscle, maintenance, like get shredded. They're like, I don't give a fuck about any of that. I just want to be 10 pounds lighter so my pants fit better. Perfect. 
they actually will be totally fine. You can have a drink every single day if you want to. If it fits into your like total maintenance calories, you'll be fine. So for that individual, it's like you should be exercising to stay healthy, which means just do the minimum amount needed to stay healthy and be fit. Burn some calories so that your maintenance intake is a little bit higher and then fit the alcohol into that. So if you know you're doing tastings and lunches every day and you go, okay, I need to take, I think like a, uh, technically a, a actual pour is 3.5 ounces of wine. I want to say double pour is obviously seven ounces then. But when you go to a restaurant, usually 3.5 ounces. They never weigh it, so who fucking knows? It depends mm. on how nice the waitress or waiter is. But a taste, I got to imagine, is like an ounce. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not much. So if you're like, okay, I, I got to taste. I, I do one tasting a day, and I taste three different wines. Okay, you got about three ounces. Cool. Add that into your MyFitnessPal, your tracker, every day. And just see what how many calories that is. It's going to be about 150 to 160 calories. I can already tell you that because a glass of wine is about 150. But that's literally uh, two whole eggs. Uh, you know what I mean? So you could go, okay, well, since I got to do this every day, I'm going to have egg whites and take the two whole eggs out of my breakfast every day. Well, you're good. Yep. If it's in your range of calories, you're going to be fine. You're still going to be able to improve performance, especially if it's a glass of wine, let's say, by the time you have more, a few tastings. Um and people listening are like, well, I heard red wine's healthy for your heart. Well, grapes are healthy for your heart too. Eat those instead. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's not healthy for you when it's to an extent of like overconsumption. Yeah. But a glass a day is totally fine. There is going to be a very minimal amount of cardiovascular benefits. You're going to get way more cardiovascular benefits, which is heart health, for other things like weight training, walking, aerobic work. Um, so if you're doing those things and you have that little bit and it fits your calories, I don't think it's going to really stop your performance, you're in the gym or anything like that, it may inhibit your ability to lose more body fat or build muscle only because if, and this really I would say also depends on um, how the individual metabolizes alcohol. So depending on how you metabolize alcohol, I believe that's actually what kind of determines if you're a lightweight or not. Mm. So if, I, w I wouldn't know if, it, I would assume if you metabolize it faster or easier, you're not as much of a lightweight. So if that's the case, it might not actually hinder that much. Um, but if you're a lightweight or you're a very small frame person and you have a glass a day for the tasting and you don't uh, metabolize alcohol very quickly, it might actually slow down your progress. The way I look at it is you're pushing pause on a lot of hormonal functions and processes yeah. that lead to fat loss and muscle growth. The easiest way to think about it is your body has to metabolize some kind of substrate or fuel source, right? We have fat, we have carbohydrate, then we have amino acids, which is very rare because it's going to be used for other things. So you have to be severely depleted of carbohydrates and fat in order to start really burning protein as fuel. Um, but let's just say fat and carbs and then alcohol. The problem is, is alcohol is almost like, I don't want to say it's toxin or toxic but it's almost treated that way in the body in a sense that your your body essentially goes oh okay this alcohol is present i'm not going to metabolize fat or carbs until i get rid of this alcohol mm. so your body starts working on uh, alcohol metabolism basically and getting rid of that before it goes back to burning carbs or fat well we need to burn the carbs in order to replenish muscle glycogen spike muscle growth through insulin uh and growth factors through growth hormone things like that right um and we want to burn calories through stored fat to burn fat. Mm. But if those things are put on pause, then we can't do that. So this becomes an issue when you're putting, basically putting those, those processes on pause too often in order to metabolize the alcohol that you're consuming. Which basically means like, this is why I tell people, I would rather, if you have fat loss goals, I would rather you um, have four glasses on Saturday than one glass four days in a row. Mm. 
most of the time because yeah. instead of pushing pause throughout the week, I'd really just push pause and skip a day instead of like pushing pause on half a day for multiple days of the week. You know what I mean? Um, Interesting. Yeah. It's also why you see a big, uh, and I don't want this to excite people because it's not a good thing, but you see a big metabolic jump when you consume alcohol and it's because your body starts ramping up to try to metabolize it. Mm-hmm. If anybody's ever wondered why you sweat and get hot when you're drinking alcohol, it's because your metabolism literally ramps up to get rid of it. So you're metabolizing it quicker and trying to get rid of it and process it and burn it off and you start sweating and getting hot. Um, so what would I recommend doing? I guess really just fit into the calories. Like that's the biggest thing. Um, I think the biggest detriments would be more towards muscle growth than fat loss because if you fit it into your calories, um, even if you wanted to create a deficit, technically if you're in a deficit, you're still going to lose fat. I would be more worried about maintaining muscle tissue than I would anything else, which in that case, what I would say is like if you have to do tastings, you know, hopefully they're in the afternoon, not in the morning. I would wake up, train in the morning, make sure you have protein and carbs around your workout. And then hopefully you have, you know, four to six hours before you got to taste and consume alcohol. Cause we want to keep the alcohol away from your, your workout as well. Cause it's going to limit muscle protein synthesis. Um, but if you fit in your calories, you should be fine. You just don't go overboard, sip and try to not to go too ham on the alcohol, I guess. And that's probably going to be your best bet for the most part. Um, yeah. yeah. I wonder if they're even drinking it out of like, separately than at work because she does you know tastings i wonder if it's even on top of that it's at home or, yeah you know for date night or whatever yeah. you want to yeah. call it most likely huh? i yeah. mean unless it's something like i mean i wouldn't imagine it would be this case but i'm thinking like if you're married to a masseuse you know your masseuse doesn't get home your wife and you're like hey can i get a massage yeah like no fuck yeah i'm doing this all day true but I feel like it's different. After yeah. like tasting a little bit you're probably like shit let's go yeah <laughs> might as well inhibition's lower definitely <laughs> um but yeah, it's a tough one, but that's that's kind of like my my two cents on it. I think if your goals aren't like overly serious, I don't think it's as big of a deal. Um, I tend to recommend to people just for health purposes and like getting the most out of your program, stick to once a week if you're going to drink. Um, and then the random occasion where you have multiple nights and that's it, it, fine. You know, I keep it to once a week, typically always. And if I'm at maintenance and there's a thing that pops up, I don't really care. Just throw it in. It's yeah. an extra day. Big deal. Um, but when I'm in a serious fat loss phase, it's like, very specific for sure um i'm actually starting this weekend i'm actually like really going to because usually it's like i do enough good work in grinding on the diet that like i can have like a free day and i don't track my alcohol or anything like that and i'm like fine um but like i could tell it slowed my progress a little bit through into this week and i was like all right so this weekend i'm, I'm gonna track i might even bust out the tito's because mm. vodka is way lower calorie yeah not a fan but you can make a good vodka drink if you yeah. do like, uh, like soda, lime, mint. You can start getting creative and shit. But or like they have a diet, um, like what is it, ginger beer? Oh um, yeah. So you can even make Moscow mules that are actually pretty good. The problem with that stuff is I get drunk because they're so good. Yeah. You know, like at least wine, like I love taste, but it's stronger. Moscow mule, I can just fucking slurp up, and the next thing I know, I'm lit. Totally. <laughs> yeah. But much quicker. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, let's move on to the next question here. It comes from Gloria Benitez. Benitez. I listened to the Female Muscle Growth Podcast and have a question regarding the nutrition portion of what you said. You mentioned that it would be wise to eat two hours before and two hours after a workout. But I would be training at 5.30 a.m. two of the four days. I would be training... Uh, Two of the four days I would be training a week and eating at 3.30 a.m. is not an option. <laughs> what do you recommend? So 
I recommend this for almost anybody, but especially as somebody who's only a couple days, they got to do that. Um, I'm a very big fan of keeping your meals in routine. So for example, if most of the time you don't train that early and therefore your meals can be very like structured at the same times, even if you're not eating the same, like you don't have to follow like a meal plan where it's like what I do, basically like eat the same fucking thing at the same times. Totally understand if you don't want to do that. Um, you don't have to, it's, there's nothing special about it for me. It just makes my life easier, but there is something special about eating in the same windows. So if you're typically eating at, like for me, I eat at eight, what is it? Eight, 11, one and then five-ish when I get home, and then again at like 8.30, right? So I have those windows, and I keep it there because your body will get used to, your circadian rhythm is, is it's a rhythm, so it's based on routine. So this is why they always recommend, like, even on the weekend sometimes, and it's easier said than done, but if, you're, if, you, if you can, wake up at the same time every single day. So even if you're like, yeah, but I could sleep in Saturday and get extra sleep. Well, as long as you're not sleep-deprived during the week, I would still recommend getting up early because your body wants to get used to waking up at this time, going to bed at this time, yep. eating at these windows. Um, so in your case, I would still try to do that, and I wouldn't eat before because I would want you to keep your windows like that. And hopefully your post-workout meal ends up being around the same time within an hour of your normal meal. But And I actually have it right next to me, so I'll read some of the ingredients. I would use something like, obviously, the one I use is from First Form. It's called Interformance. Um, Use, the thing I like about theirs too is usually you have to, I mean, you used to see me, I used to put all these different things. So I would have my like uh, electrolyte mix, which is like sodium, potassium, magnesium, salt, basically. Um, then I would have crystallite because otherwise it tastes like shit. Then I would put essential amino acids in it. Essential amino acid, EAAs, not BCAs. EAAs taste horrid. So that's why I had to put like multiple crystallites in there. Then highly branched cyclic dextrin in there as well. Um, so I have like this mixture of things in, in there, but First form makes it, it's called Interformance, and it has all that in there, which is nice because I just take one scoop and go. But that's what I would recommend because it has EAAs, so it has essential amino acids, which are basically, instead of branch chains where it's just the building, like just those three or four, it's really just three uh, amino acids, which are the main ones. <coughs> However, they'll function better with all of them. So if you do the BCAs, you have leucine, isoleucine, and valine. That's literally just three of all the amino acids you could consume. And if you have all of them, they're going to function better together. That's why whole protein source like whey protein or food is better because they have all the amino acids. Um, that's going to cover your bases with muscle protein synthesis. Uh, it's very light. A lot of people assume that BCAs and EAs have no calories, but that's not true. They absolutely have calories. It's protein. So it literally has calories. Um, it can't not have calories, but we know that pure isolated protein is not going to store in the body as fat. So it's not, a lot of times people don't count it. It's also why there's a loophole and they don't have to put the calories on the label for the BCAs and stuff. Mm. It's a loophole and it's a very low amount of calories. And I would also say that it's, it's, what's a very low, um, I mean, fuck. You guess in 10 less? No. Um, but if we're looking at, okay, so it depends on how many amino acids. So like in here, um, we have 25, 5,000 milligrams of amino acids, which is five grams. So five times four, 20 in here. So some of them have 10 plus. So, I mean, 20, 40, 50, less than 100 calories for sure. But usually it's not enough to where I'm like, you really got to track that. I wouldn't worry about it. But the point is, is like, it is going to give you some calories. Uh, but then the highly branched cyclic dextrin is a, is a carbohydrate source and it's a very easily digestible carbohydrate source. So it actually like pass certain parts of the intestine just gets right into the bloodstream and allows you to actually utilize for energy, muscle glycogen, and to blunt cortisol, um, which is going to help muscle growth, which there's really only one study I know of that showed um, a comparison between two groups. They were, they were doing the um, 
they were testing it on cross-sectional muscle area of the quadriceps. So I think they were doing like leg extensions and leg presses. But basically they had one group on a leg day that had this highly branched cyclodextrin and essential amino acids, one group that didn't. And the group that had the mixture actually did see more growth in the quads. Mm-hmm. Um, minimal, but, and they don't really 100% know why. My guess is because cortisol was l- dropped and that might help recovery. Mm-hmm. That's what the person that I got it from, uh, Mountain Dog, John Meadows, who recently passed away, unfortunately, he, he had a presentation on it and he used that study and it was really cool. Um, but the point is, is that if that led to, even if it was 1% growth, okay, but I train five days a week and then I do that year round, like that adds up over time, right? And if I'm managing stress better because of it, it might not even help the training session. It might just help my sleep better later or my me recover better and that's gonna snowball. Um, and there's a placebo factor because there's even a study on mouth swishing. We did a podcast with Brandon Roberts, our CSO on this and they saw increased importance from people putting glucose solutions. So basically like liquid carbs, like Gatorade or something like that syrupy stuff in their mouth, swishing it around and spitting it out. So they didn't even con- like actually consume the calories and they saw a performance increasement. Um, they did another study that showed just as good of performance increasements with somebody actually ingesting it, but it was, uh, they called it like s- zero, like artificial sludge or something really gross, but it's basically just Weird. like zero calories, zero carbs, but it's something so you can feel it. So it feels like you're eating something and the participants didn't know what it was. And so it could be placebo that caused a performance increase because they thought they were consuming carbohydrates, but they think that there's basically like a sensory system with your taste buds and when you swallow things with insulin, everything that actually signals the brain to improve performance. Mm. So it was less muscular focused and more brain related. Nonetheless, all of it's positive, neutral at best. So I'm like, go for it. Yeah. Um, but I think when you're training fasted, it is even more important. So uh, because nobody wants to digest uh, eggs, toast, and fruit in the morning at three before they work out, uh, I would have a shake like this. And you would do it literally as you're walking into the gym. So instead of doing it hours before, because it, it digests so rapidly, you're going to want to literally sip on it as you're doing your first sets. And you just sip on it throughout your workout. Um, and you can, if you're training that early, you could even like... If I put mine in like a liter, so you could even drink like a quarter of it in the like warm up of your workout. So you have some of it floating around. Um, but for example, this uh, intraformance, it really what you're after again is uh, electrolytes, amino acids, and highly branched conduction carbs. This one is 100 calories because it's 25 grams of carbohydrates, 24 grams of carbohydrates. Um, but this has magnesium, potassium, chloride, sodium, all the, the, the essential um, sodium components that I was talking about, electrolytes. Uh, has a cluster dextrin, which is uh, highly branched dextrin, like I was talking about, but it also has fructose and dextrose. Fructose is nice because that's the carbohydrate from fruit, um, which is going to be more like liver glycogen, but you deplete liver glycogen during sleep. So it's actually even better to have some of that in this when you're first thing in the morning. And then it has the BCAs, obviously, because as the full branch EAAs, and then it has a hydration complex, which is just el- uh, extra electrolytes. Um, but one scoop of this, um, it's called Interformance, firstform.com slash tailored coaching method. If you want to get it, get free shipping. Uh, it's a really good product and not many people sell the combination of all those things at one, which is one of the reasons why I love it. This is one product I've actually always taken from them versus uh, now I take everything from them because we work with them, but um, highly, highly recommend that. And that's, that's what I would do. That's what I recommend to clients when they're training that early. Totally. So just to keep it the same every, all the time. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on here. We got one from Kayleen McDonald. Uh says, how long do you think 
ahead of time and to plan your goals? One year, two, or five years? Um, depends on what kind of goal. Yeah, I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, it depends on if I'm talking about like business, life, uh, relationship, all that kind of stuff, right? So, um, so a, a couple that I don't think long term too much with would be um, personal and relationship goals. I don't really see the. I don't know. I don't see the value. I mean, I don't want to say I don't see the value because I like I know where I want my family and marriage to go, right? I, I know where I want to be with my family at some point in time. But setting like tangible goals is kind of weird in that category. So I always do my quarterly goals. I have 90 day outcomes. And that's about as far as I take it. Like I have a, I, w- I would consider it like this. I have a vision for my family. I have a vision for myself as a human, as a man, as a father, as a husband, just personally, non-business related. And I'm just trying to move towards those things. And I just set them in quarterly aspects. So it's like, this quarter, what do I want to invest into those areas of my life? And then I just have a checklist, mm. right? So like for uh, relationships, I have like a checklist of what I want to accomplish with different people within the 90 days. And I just have like little bubbles that I check off of my iPhone notes, right? And I just have a certain amount that I want to achieve by the end of the quarter. Yeah. And I think if I do those things, it aligns with the person I want to become in those areas, right? Um for like spirituality, personal growth, all those things as well. Same exact thing. Uh, I want to get through the Bible and that's not going to happen in 90 days because it's probably the biggest book outside the dictionary. Yeah. It's massive. Uh, but like I have the audio Bible. So I have like, okay, I'm going to get through these three stories within the Bible via audio book. How do I, like how much time is that actually going to take? And so I know how much of it I got to listen to every day. And I listen to it while I'm making breakfast every single morning. And I just check off because it's broken up into chapters and it actually makes it really mm. easy. You listen for like 10 minutes what a version? day. Uh, English standard version mm. and it's like the Americanized one which is actually it's kind of funny because when uh, when translated sometimes like you hear stuff and raise an eyebrow yeah <laughs> yeah uh, especially with like the like man and woman stuff I'm like god damn that like I would never say that to my wife yeah. you know <laughs> like yeah. but uh, yeah, you got a question how accurate translation is after thousands and thousands of years. Totally. But um, but that's always something I want to do. I want to be able to say, like, I actually know the entire story of the Bible. So, like, going through that. But that's a personal goal. What am I going to do with that? Like, I don't know. I'm never going to, like, lead a congregation or some shit. <laughs> but I want to be able to say that I went through that someday. So I'm, like, just starting small. So I think 90-day outcomes is good for that stuff. Um, for my body, I usually think of, like, a year and then break that down into smaller things. So, I again, I have a vision of where I want to be. In a year. In a year. And I think that like, it, I look at it like that because I'm like every year I can just kind of chip away. And it's and it's cool because I can think of like, okay, you know, in July I turned 30 and it's like, okay, where I remember where I was at when I was 29. You know, I remember when I was 28 and you can like see every birthday. It's like, here's where I'm at. And if you actually think about it like that, you can periodize properly because now I can go, okay, I'm my photo shoot's in June. So I'll arguably be the leanest sustainable like level I can be for the summer because photo shoots in, at the beginning of June and then I'll reverse a little bit and just try to hang at a lean level for the summer through my birthday and then I'm going to start trying to gain again but then I might go through another mini cut when right before like when spring hits getting into summer and then guess what I did the same exact thing let's say I have another shoot in June my birthday's in July and I can literally see like did I make progress right I got, went through a cut and now I'm heavier than I was last summer which means I put on muscle totally right and uh, that's broken up into however the periodization plan looks, obviously, based on lean gaining and everything yep. like that. 
And then business, I, I personally have a grand, huge vision. Then I have like a three-year goal that is, like the grand vision is like when I'm, I don't know if I'd actually ever retire, but when I'm at that point of my life, looking back and being like, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Right. Or if I was to write a book, it's like, could I write a book about the, the like evolution that. of it? You know? Yeah. Um, and then more specific is like three years. I know, like we've talked about just the other day, like I know exactly where I want everything to be in three years, like the big, big goal for three years. And then I break that down and like, okay, if we're going to get to that point, what's the year goal. Yeah. And that's more tangible of like, I need to hit, Quarterly. These numbers, these things, everything. And then we break that up into quarters. It's like, what is the main focus this quarter? So quarter two of the year, I know exactly what I want to create, what I want to develop, where I want the team to be, all those things within this quarter so that I can move on to the next step for that year goal, right? And that's typically how I would recommend most people do it. I think that most of them, I think you can boil down into shorter periods. I think that your your physique should be a year and then that's broken up into periodization because for a year, some people might need to, focus on fat loss for more than half of the year or a half of the year, you know, maintain half the year. For me, it's probably the opposite. I'm going to cut for a quarter and then try to gain for three quarters of the year just because I've spent the time, due time needed to cut like in the past to get to a sustainable place. Yeah. Um, and then for business, five years is always like the thing people say, like five-year goals. Five-year plan. Or- yeah. And I remember the first time I set like a really big five-year plan and I hit it way sooner than five years. So I stopped doing that because – it's almost like you're setting it too far away from you that you get lazy, in my opinion. Like, I would rather set it for three years and it'd be so fucking big that, like, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta hurry. I gotta hustle. Because it kind of scares me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Three years goes by fast. It does. I mean, obviously, five years does too, but I understand what you mean by that. It, it might be like a mental number thing. Like, mm-hmm. five is like, okay, that's, we got a long ways to yeah, go. Yeah, I got time. Yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, even, like, I remember at the beginning of this year going, okay, What's my, we call it the impossible game, but that's like the end of the year. What is my impossible game? It's almost May. And I'm like, fuck, dude, we're halfway through the first, second quarter. Yeah. Like, I mean, not halfway yet, but still no. it's like, yep. we're in the second quarter. Like, that's crazy. Yep. Time goes by really fast, but um, yeah, that's how I do it. Dope. So. Cool. All right. We will move on. We got one coming from V Shop Davis. It says, is there a body scan that you currently endorse? Um, so literally endorse. No, obviously endorsing. I endorse first form because <laughs> I'm an affiliate of them. You know, they have a body scan. No, I'm just saying like technically an endorsement would be that we don't, we're, we are not endorsers of any company. So if you ever hear me like, like I, I'll probably recommend rockstar sugar free rockstars all the time. They don't pay me, you know? Yeah. I, so I'm not an endorser of them. I'm just a fan advocate. Yeah. I'm an advocate. <laughs> I'm an endorser of first form because yeah. I work with them directly. So no, I don't endorse any body scan. But I also don't believe in any body scan. I think they're all horseshit. Um, so we can link the blog in the, the, the show notes of this podcast. But I did a full blog on body fat scanners. And I went through all of the main ones that you're probably wondering about as you listen to this. And basically debunked how they're full of shit. And I even showed research on the DEX scan, which is one of the most accurate ones you can use. And how you can completely butcher that and change the results dramatically. Um, because there's settings on there. So if you do a DEXA scan one place and then you do it another place in different settings, it's going to change. If I carb load the night before, it's going to change. If I deplete the night before, it's going to change. So there was a guy, I can't remember who it was, but there was a guy, uh, he was an English dude in London. Uh, I remember reading about it years ago. He, he basically did a DEXA and he like, he, he depleted himself, did a DEXA and then he like ate a bunch of carbs, drank water, had some sodium. And then he went back in and said he gained a bunch of muscle in like a few hours. That's just to prove the point. 
you can't really trust those kind of metrics. Now, some of them can be reliable for trends. Um, even like, I mean, so I hate the BIA ones, the bioelectrical impedance analysis, I think it is. It's basically like it sends electrical current. So you can, they have them on your scale. Now you can step on it and it tells you your body fat percentage or you can hold it. And it, basically what it's doing is it's sending electrical current through one hand or foot and going to the other one. Depending on how long it takes, it's a formula. The problem with that is, is like, you know, I mean, I guess you would add the weight, the height, but like even that, like I've never seen one where it says how long are your limbs? Because like, for example, um, Joe on our team, he's not abnormally tall. Would you say? No. His arms are abnormally long. Yeah. A guy has like, he's literally like ape. He has the longest arms ever. We did a deadlift, a uh, trap bar deadlift comp test here. And it was like one minute body weight on the bar, however many reps you can do. He crushed everybody because he barely had to bend his fucking legs. His oh. arms reached so far down. Damn. Deadlift is like, it's a perfect trap bar deadlift. He just crushed it. Yeah. But I'm saying that because like, for example, he could probably grab it and put his height in there. But it, since his arms are longer than the normal person at his height, longer. it's going to take longer, which is going to add body fat percentage. That dude is shredded. You know what I mean? So it's just not that accurate. However, here's the thing is like, if he does it and it says 15%, and we know he's leaner than that. He's, let's say, 10%. Who gives a shit about the percentage? If he does it on a Saturday morning after going to the bathroom without drinking anything, and he knows that he ate this many macros on Friday, and he repeats it four weeks later, and he generally has about the same metrics, like he might not have the exact same carbs, but he knows it wasn't like an ultra-high carb day the day before. He wasn't like super depleted. He didn't drink a bunch of water. Like he mimicked it as much as he can. It might save. 14%. And that would probably be an accuracy of like, he's cutting, he dropped 1% body fat, but he's probably 9% now, mm. not 14. You know what I mean? So, um, you can use them for trends, but you have to ignore the actual number. Um, and that's the same with calipers, but in the reverse typically. So calipers, you pinch your skin and there's like a math equation you do to see what your body fat is. And those you can accurately, I like those cause you can really accurately follow the trend better because it's, it's based on pinching. But Usually those are butchered too. Like I remember when I was doing my show, I got down to 4% body fat with that. There's no way in fuck. I'd be dead. There's no way I was 4% body fat. It was probably like seven yeah. or eight, which is shredded, you know, cause I was like still four weeks out or something. Um, but I remember telling people like, I just dropped under 4% and it's like four weeks. At no, I didn't, but I didn't know better back then. I was mm. like 20 years old years ago. Um, but the point is, is like the calipers can see a good trend. So you, if you, as long as you do it in the same spot, either the same person or you do it yourself every single time, same day of the week, same kind of like, this is why with any of those things, you should do it first thing in the morning because then you can control it the best, right? Yeah. So like, even with my progress pictures, I, every single time I take a progress picture, it's first thing in the morning after I've gone to the bathroom, I've had one green drink and two coffees. And the only reason I even have those before is because when I wake up, it's dark out. So I have to wait for the sun to come out because I use natural lighting because that's way better. Um, because if I use overhead lighting, I can stand in the perfect angle and look shredded, and it's just not accurate. But the uh, I, if I do it every single time with greens drink, so it's the same ounces that I put in the same cup every single time, the same product, coffee. like it's coffee with the same amount of almond milk in it, like I just repeat it, you know? Yeah. You're controlling the variables way more easy than if you did it at 5 p.m. Totally. You've had multiple meals, and um, so... That's that. But I think the hard part is, is the most people I can tell you like, Hey, don't worry about what the number says. Just follow a trend. If you see a number you don't like, it's going to fuck with your head. So I'd rather just not even track. Yeah. I see no reason to, there's just like, even for somebody who's extremely over, like the only argument I could hear, think of is like, 
you shouldn't be over a certain percentage of body fat because it is quite literally unhealthy. Your disease risk goes up, all-cause mortality goes up. I mean, everything, right? Joint health, cardiovascular disease, like everything, diabetes risk, everything goes up if you're obese, right? We know that. But I, so you could argue like, well, you need to know if you're in that range because of health concerns. You know, you know what I mean? Like if if you have weight to lose and it's a significant amount, then you're probably in a place that you are risking health parameters. You know what I mean? If you just got a little body fat on you, you're not going to die from diabetes or heart disease, right? It's just not going to happen. And even then I've known people who genetically are gifted but they ran into some serious health concerns because they eat like shit. Mm. Their body just metabolizes so quick that they didn't realize they had blood glucose issues that were like punching numbers of diabetic responses. But it, it was. It was yeah. until they got their blood work done. So a body fat percentage isn't going to tell me that, you know, necessarily. So I don't endorse any. I think, I think they're garbage. I just don't understand like how you can even know what normal is if there's so many ways and so many variables that can change it. Like, you know, whatever you ate the next morning or how many, you know. That's my point. You can't, you know. You just never know. You never know. You you have to, like, that's the thing. It's like, so because of the way the body digests and depletes water through sleep and stuff, you almost have to do it first thing in the morning. That can get you more accurate. But then you have to find the right tool, right, um, which is hard. And there's, it's just, yeah, it's inconvenient. And okay. there's always ranges. Like, there's a healthy range for men and a healthy range for women. Um but even that, like, there's certain people who hold, uh, like, fat tissue around their organs more, so you wouldn't see it visibly. There's certain people that hold fat in different places than other people, like, or it's very more spread even. You know, it just... Touche. Yeah, there's just no way. I don't know. Like, even, like, and this this might sound weird, but, uh, like, breasts are, there's a lot of fat tissue there. So, what's, there's there's a woman who has a six-pack but huge boobs, and now she has a higher body fat percentage and it fucks with her head because she, she tests her body fat percentage. It's like... That's the, to me, that's where it like defeats purpose. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just not, I don't know. It starts getting negative. Yeah. It's very negative. All right, cool. Let's move on guys. We have one coming from, I'm not even, it's an Instagram. Uh, it says R Y N D R V. How do you make it easier for your clients to adhere to their diet? Rinder? Rindriv. 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 Um, how do I make it easier for clients to adhere to their diet? Correct. I think it's a combination of things um so I, I think there's like there's a big there's like literally it's like a kind of like a there's a layered list of this stuff i think number one is is buy-in and buy-in comes from multiple things as you and this is just like advice to coaches to stay in the game longer because the longer you're in the game the easier buy-in becomes i will work with somebody now who will come on board and i don't have to do anything to create buy-in because they've been looking at my shit for months and months and months, right? So I, I got on the phone with somebody the other day, and it's like, man, I've been following you for three years. I've used your ebooks back in the day. I used tail trail. Like, I've just gone through so much of your content over the years. Um, I, like, I relate to everything you put out. Like, he, he already trusts me so much from all the work I've put in over the last however many years that it's not even like, let me convince you of why you should trust my advice. It's just like, you don't. Like, convince yourself. Exactly. I'm just going to tell you what to do, and you're going to do it. Like, because you know you're coming to somebody that you can trust. You know I'm not going to bullshit you because I put it out there. So I think step number one is is consistently putting out content and being very authentic with it. Um, there, like a lot of people are so focused on content being uh, the thing that attracts new eyes, and they forget that it's also one of the things that gains trust from the eyes that you already have attention of. 
Sure. You could say attracts new eyes or attracts uh, already eyes. Well, that's, the, I mean, people that are already watching. I it. think, I mean, a master marketer does both. You know what I mean? That's why, like, for example, reels. Yeah. If, if I wasn't trying to attract new eyes and get new people to find me, I wouldn't even do reels. I think yeah. they're fucking stupid. Yeah. 60 seconds. How am I supposed to educate you in 60 seconds? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I try. It's yeah. very hard. That's the, like, honestly, the only type of content I ever have to do multiple takes on because yeah. I'm like, God, how do I keep it concise? But, but my point is, is like, I would be stu- I would be lying if I was like, it doesn't matter to attract new people. Of course you want your company to grow and your reach to expand so you can help new people. But you have to put in consistent effort into longer form types of content or more depth in content because the people who you already have in your bubble, your atmosphere, your environment, those people need to gain trust through learning from you. And you can't do that in a very short bout. So you have to be able to constantly educate, answer questions, DM people back, email people back, write content, uh, record podcasts, all these kind of things lead to that. So when somebody gets on the phone with me to coach with me, I've already accomplished the buy-in because they've listened to hours and hours and hours of my podcast. Somebody commented on the reel today and said, I just found you a week ago and I'm already 30 episodes into the podcast. Oh, I was like, fuck yeah, that's dope. But imagine if I only aired an episode a month or I've like, or I was like, ah, like reels are what are trending right now. I'm not gonna do podcasts. Yeah. You know what I mean? They wouldn't have been able to see my reel and then go find all this content that actually taught them a lot and gain that trust. Totally. Right. So I think number one, you have to earn the trust of people before they even come to you. Then, uh, and that's going to be from content, but also I would say experience because, you know, even for some people who maybe don't have the time to do a lot of content now, like y- you can see if they have a lot of experience in the game doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you're smirking. Dude, I'm just saying a lot of people can put content out and then have no experience. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Um, and you could, but you could tell. Yeah, you know no, hundred percent. I mean? So yeah. like, I think, and I, I think, but. I think that's like, the what power. Out about? <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's the power of social proof and long form content. So social yeah. proof being like, okay, like this person says they can know what they're doing, but I only see reels and stuff. Let me go to their website. They got testimonials. They got yeah. case studies. Yeah. And then long form content is just plain and simple. You can't create a really long blog or do a long podcast if you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And if somebody doesn't get across, they don't trust you after one form of content, they, they dive five minutes or like, okay. I got it because they got a website. They have all exactly. Those yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's step one. And then once you have them as a client, you still have to consistently show that to them. And the whole point of me saying that to people before is because I think a lot of people would have a lot. Like I always think about this. I get this question all the time. Like how do you get your clients to be consistent? How do you get them to hear? And I think about all of our clients at TCM and I'm like, man, we really don't run into that problem nearly as much as other people. It's like, why is that? Well, because we gain people's trust before they even come to us. That's really the biggest thing. And then we have really good strategies on how to continue building that trust once they start with us. And to me, that's step A, build a relationship with them. So it's not just a transactional thing. It is like literally like, I want to know about you. Who are you? Like, what do you do for a living with your day? How do you sleep? Where do you sleep? Do you have a family? Do you have dogs? What kind of movies do you like to watch? Like, I want to know about you as a person because the more I can connect with you, the more I know who you are and I know how to adapt the conversations and the type of coaching and interactions with you because all of those things, that's all emotional intelligence and and communication 101, right? If you're just transactional and a macro prescriber or calculator, you're not going to be able to tap in and connect with those people. And that connection is what manifest that trust and builds that trust over time then from there it's education so not just telling people what to do but showing them how it's done right 
not only through living proof, like right now I'm, I'm documenting and showing what I'm doing. I'm taking pictures of my meals, more on my story and stuff. Cause I want people to see like, I fucking do this stuff and let me show you how I do it. So you can mock it a little bit and try it for yourself, but also teaching them like hold their hand through the process. Right. So I think a lot of times coaches fail to educate for a couple of reasons. Number one, they fail to educate because they assume that the client doesn't want to know. They're like, I don't want to bore them with science and everything. Your clients want to know. Trust me. I, we work with a lot of gem pop and we, we break down everything for them because real people understand that they don't want to rely on somebody or something else for the rest of their life. So for example, if I was driving to your house and I would have to use GPS the first time I get there, right? I would hope eventually I pay enough attention where I don't have to fucking rely on the GPS, right? What if I forget my phone, right? What if my GPS screen breaks or something? I need to be able to get there. Back in the day, you didn't even have that. But the point is, is you don't want to be reliant on the device. Neither do people. So they want to know that someday I'll have autonomy to where I don't have to track my fitness pal and I don't have to pay a coach because I know how to do this on my own. So they want to know. But on top of that, even if they don't even understand what the fuck you're talking about, like maybe you send them a long email and it's like breaking down everything and they just go, okay, whatever. And they just skip past it. It's still valuable because they go, wow, this person really knows what they're talking about. They start reading. They're like, oh, this is kind of complex, but I trust them. Awesome. Move on. Right. At least it builds trust. So they don't think you're just full of shit. And there's a respect factor. If I just go, Hey, don't worry about it. Like, just trust me, do it. You're like, well, what the fuck, man? Like you can't explain it to me. Yeah. You know, which leads to the next reason why coaches don't teach because they don't even fucking know. Yeah. Right. Like there's, um, and this is not, this is not a shot at coaches. Cause I get these questions all the time of like, what would you do with this client or what? And I like answering those questions on the podcast, but I also think if you're asking those questions, then you should partially know the answer and you just want my confirmation because I'm a very experienced coach. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think of like me as a coach, I will never, I'm not going to answer this email for a client yet because I, know I, wanna, I need to ask somebody else what they would do because I don't know what to do. Yeah. If you don't know what to do at all or you don't know how to find out via research, that's an issue. You're dealing with people's health here. Yeah. You know, so even if I'm like, I think I know how to break this down, but I'm going to go do some research. I'm literally going to go research things and I'm going to look through old client files, right? Um, then at worst, I will take those and this is why we have brand on our team. I'm like, hey, this research, this is what I'm getting from it. Is that accurate? Yep. Or no, actually you would think about it. Oh, perfect. Okay. Then I can apply it. Um, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't seek help. There's a reason why people hire coaches and mentors and you can learn and learn, but you should have enough, uh, education and knowledge in order to be able to kind of start putting things together by yourself before needing the aid of somebody else to help you with your client is what I'm getting at. But the point is, is if, if people, if coaches can't answer the question, or explain things because they don't know the answer, that's that's a red flag, you know? If they don't even know how to get the answer, yep. shouldn't be coaching. Yep. I, th- I, I was kind of just, you kind of ended it there. I think I, they're not even a good coach if they don't even take the initiative to ask somebody else. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I still think you should have a little bit of an idea. Absolutely. Because if you do the right certifications and stuff, you know how to, like, kind of connect the dots. Yeah. But maybe you just, a lot of times, because I've mentored countless people and there's been countless times where they seek my advice on certain things with their clients. But nine times out of 10, when I tell them, they go, okay, cool. That's what I thought. It's not like, oh, cool. Would you, would you ever, and I'm assuming after all the people you've climbed, just say, what do you think? And then I'll tell you what, what, you know, absolutely. Just to, I will even do that with clients. Like for example, a client asks me a question and they need an answer right away. 
And, and I don't have to do this in, much anymore because obviously my client roster is smaller than it was, but I've done this many times throughout the, the years where it's like, I, I see it, but like, they should know this by now. If yeah. I'm doing my job, like I think I am, they should know this by now. And I'm pretty confident they do know it. If the, if it's at the very beginning of our journey, then I don't do that because they don't know yet. I haven't taught them, yeah. but if I've taught them, I will be like, I'm just going to leave this here. And then I'll come back the next day when I know that the situation's already done. I'm like, Oh, I just saw this. What did you end up doing? And they will tell me, and I'm like, that is exactly what I hoped you would say. It's exactly what I would do. That's what we've been going over. You're learning, right? And now I have clients that literally won't even ask me. Then they'll, they'll go through it, and they'll email and be like, hey, this was my situation last night. This is how I adjusted. I'm pretty, like, it worked out really well. And I'm like, fuck yeah, you're learning. Like, yeah. that's the whole point of this. Yeah. Because if I'm not teaching somebody how to do it on their own eventually, then what am I doing as a coach? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I want, you to, I want you to continue working with me. Obviously, that's what helps us do what we do, but... It's not the right thing to do, yeah. you know? Um, but the the big thing here is that I'm getting at is like you have to educate your clients. Like that's the biggest thing for adherence because if, if somebody tells you to do something, you don't know why, you're not going to do it. So teach them what you're doing, why you're doing it, how it's working for them and how to create it on their own and don't be afraid to consistently do that. And then the last thing is is around all this, right? Around the the relationship building, the connection, the trust, the buy-in, the education. It's It's literally just consistent accountability and access. So them having the know that they can access you when they need to and them having the know that you support them and are holding them accountable, that alone is what kind of puts it all together. It's the glue that holds everything together and allows them to keep being successful. So if you put trust, like building a trusting environment, consistently connecting with them on a deeper level than just macros and reps and educating them on a deeper level than most coaches do, and then you just make sure you're there to support them and keep them accountable constantly, People would hear. Totally. They'll do the work, you know? And you They'll never make that buy-in all the time. 100%. And you, you never make them feel like they got to be perfect. Yeah. Like, that's the biggest thing is, like, you can create a science-based plan, but make sure, like, when you do, it's like, hey, by the way, you're not going to get all this shit right away. You're not perfect. Mm. It's not going to happen like that. And you're never going to be or perfect. You, or you would never have came to me. Exactly. Yeah. So let's just do what we can and just slowly chip away at it. Totally. So, um, dope. That's a good one to end on. Um, quick things uh like i said first form fuels this podcast so head over to firstform.com slash tailored coaching method uh and make sure you check out the youtube channel we just dropped another video that was uh with the cairo and then yesterday as this airs i believe because uh, this will be next friday so so as this airs you will have another video i think it's a day of eating right correct and if it hasn't aired it'll air very soon so go subscribe to the youtube channel so i don't got to tell you but you will you will see it um and that one goes through my entire day of eating you will even see what blakely eats for dinner which is like the the best and cutest part of the video um but go check it out guys head over to youtube search coding room you'll find it as always we appreciate you and we will catch you next time Peace.